In this episode, we meet with Stephen Soul of Delta Waterfowl Foundation at the North American Duck Symposium in Portland, Oregon. Stephen runs the Delta Waterfowl University Hunt Program. It's a way to introduce university students to waterfowl hunting. I talk with Stephen about the need to train the next generation and ensure they have an understanding of waterfowl hunting culture across duck country. Have a listen. It is truly important that as duck hunting culture wanes, that we provide a platform for students to become hunter conservationists or at minimum understand how much duck hunting means to people throughout duck country. Welcome back to the Kitchen Conversations. At the Foul Weather Podcast, we truly believe that the kitchen is the perfect place for sharing information, spending time with family and friends, and genuinely BSing about life, ducks, the science of duck migration, duck conservation, and duck hunting itself. At either home or camp, the kitchen is a place to celebrate the day and come together to learn from each other, but also simply enjoy life. The Foul Weather Podcast aims to use the kitchen conversations as a way to bring duck science with duck science people directly to you in raw form. We also aim to simply talk with duck people across duck country as well. But very often you will notice that duck science people are also duck people from across duck country. Just think about that for a second. Most of the people that work very hard to conserve duck habitat and ducks are also duck hunters from across duck country. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Kitchen Conversations. All right, we're here tonight actually at the North American Duck Symposium in Portland, Oregon. Another recording from we're like in the corner of a kitchen somewhere <laughs> here, um, squirreled away. Waiter. In the hotel waiter. waiter. And I'm here with Stephen Soul, uh, University Hunt Program. I'm going to say coordinator. You just R3 told me. R3 manager. R3 manager with Delta Waterfall. So, Stephen, thanks for coming on with us. We've uh, done some hunts with you through. Uh, ESF, my, my other job that's mm-hmm. separate from this one. Uh, but I wanted to kind of, I really tend to start with kind of telling listeners, you know, a bit of the background, not like what your job is specifically. We'll get into all that and what the University Hunt Program is. But uh, a little bit about your background as a hunter growing up and kind of currently, right? Like how you've kept in hunting and, you know, how you, you know, kind of found your way to working with Delta. That's a, that's a long question, but yeah, go sure. for it. So I grew up in Western Washington, Pacific Northwest, super avid angling family. Like my great grandmother probably taught me more about fishing than anybody. Um, Did not grow up in a hunting family. Like to this day, my dad, I don't think he's ever discharged a firearm. Um, Loved to fish after college, moved to Alaska. um, And I had just a couple buddies that wanted to take me out hunting, um, and I fell in love with it. Um, pretty much hooked, like, after the first hunt. Um, so good experience, like, completely overall, or? Yeah, just <laughs> my first hunt was for black bear. I shot a six-foot-three black bear, 350 pounds That's was right. my first hunt. 
That's that's not typical. No, it's not. Like my <laughs> my hunter adoption journey was not the normal pathway. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I was very hooked, like from the get go. Big into the cooking portion of the game too, or not? You know, the food angle has always really interested me, yeah. which is something that um, I'm sure we'll wander into when we start talking about Delta's R3 programs. Sure, but yeah. the, just the the locavore movement to me was kind of where it all started. Um, so before I came to Delta, I worked for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Um, I was the R3 program manager there for a while. Oh, we used R3 and we didn't tell listeners yes, what I'm sorry. that is. Yeah, yeah, so, it's on me. No, so. so R3 stands for Recruitment, Retention, and Reactivation. Um, when I talk to people about it, though, I tend to, to list re- retention first, though, because yeah. it's the most important of the R's. Yeah, keeping um, the people we already have. Oh, yeah. I mean, because if you don't have mentors, how are you going to recruit new hunters? Yeah. Um, so before I came to Delta, I worked for ADF&G. Um, and then Delta in 2019 created the, um, the first R3 coordinator position. And I was lucky enough to get selected and, um, and came to Delta. And what excited me the most was the university hunting program, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. Well, you know what I like too about Delta, and, and I worked with them as a technician, and I'm not going to go through all the history, but I would say that, that Delta's kind of reinvented itself as the duck hunters uh, organization, and I think that's fantastic because it was a, a needed niche in an empty niche, and you can't work in the same exact space as yeah. other conservation organizations. Yep. So I think it was just brilliant to do that, and it was, but it wasn't like it's not like a scheme. It was like actually needed. A, an advocacy group for duck hunters because sure. I think there's been some issues with just lack of state and federal uh, promotion of and, and sustaining of, of, of duck hunting and, yeah. and such. So yeah. um, anyhow, I'm getting in a little bit into the weeds. So, uh, so you are coordinating the university hunt program now with Delta. Do you want to Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about how that works. Yeah, so the University Hunting Program, which we abbreviate to UHP, mm-hmm. um, it's a program that's designed to recruit new hunters and simultaneously provide the next generation of wildlife managers with an, a program experience that enhances their understanding of the role that hunters play in the North American model. So basically what we do is, um, for your listeners' awareness, is we partner with university and college professors like Dr. Mike Schumer, um, and we provide the program experience to their students. So it's a Delta Waterfowl program Mm -hmm. that's provided in collaboration with a wildlife professor to the students at that institution. Um, And the key word there is collaboration because it really does take Delta as the NGO, the wildlife institution and the professor, and a lot of times we'll bring in a state agency. So it's not something that Delta can do on its own. Like as the R3 program manager, I can't deliver this program without you, Mike. Right. Um, And so it really does take a collaborative effort. Um, Well, in that way, you're not forcing it on anyone either. Yeah. That that there's like that buy-in from the university, at least the professor themselves, maybe not yeah. always the university yeah. in totality, but the, the but the professor. And, and that professor helps identify the students usually that are going to be part of it yep. as yep. well. So the professor has some distinct roles, primarily interacting with the students, 
um, being that point of contact, also being a resource. And the other thing is a lot of the learning comes into play in the classroom too. So it's not just about the program itself, it's about the interactions that the professor has with the students. Um, I guess the only other thing I would tell you about the University Hunting Program is that we have four program pillars that take place always. Uh, we get the students through Hunter Education, we give them a Shotgun 101 course, we, um, we take them out on a mentored hunt, and then hopefully the goal is everybody has harvest and they can learn to process the birds, and then we bring a barbecue most of the time and they get to grill you know, their harvest. Delta pays for everything. That's the other nice thing is there's no cost for the university. We pay for waiters, coats, hats, calls, gas money, McDonald's money. You know, we buy the burgers afterwards. Um, we, we pay for everything. The only thing we will not pay for is hunting licenses. And it's not because we're being cheap. It's yeah. because we're trying to remind that next generation of wildlife managers, hunters fund conservation, Mike. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. No, that's, that's cool stuff. Uh, I find that the students actually seem to really enjoy the, the like wild game stuff afterwards. Like yeah. we have a lot of students that the reason they're interested in hunting is because they want to be able to secure their own meat, yeah. right? To a large degree. And so that actually, that little bit of a meal afterwards, like this year when the students had that goose hunt, they just raved about the the goose afterwards. And I'm like, the, it was Canada goose. I'm like, <laughs> it was good. Like maybe you shot like a, I heard ju some, a I juvenile heard, bird or something. I heard some of your students were stealing each other's goose is what I heard because it was so good. <laughs> well, yeah. hey, each to their own, but it's also novel, right? And if yeah. you haven't gone through all of it, you can you can kind of muster eating something that might be a little tough. Or, but yeah. it sounded like whoever was cooking that did a very good job of preparing yeah. it. So that's super helpful. Yeah. Um, so what I always get to and, and think about is Delta saw this as a need, uh, for the, for the hunt program, you know, what, why is it, why, why does Delta think that it's needed? So basically what it comes down to is that the same influences that are taking place on society writ large with hunter participation, all the same issues are taking place with university students who are wanting to become wildlife managers. So historically, we think that about 80% of future wildlife managers had prior experience with consumptive use, whether that was hunting, fishing, trapping, etc. Um, they were fine with that. In fact, they were in love with it. And it was part of the reason that got them into the field that said, hey, Mike, I want to come to SUNY ESF and be trained to be a wildlife manager is because my grandma, my grandpa, my aunt, my uncle, whatever, I used to go squirrel hunting with them as a kid. Fast forward to today, and we think that about 30% of those university students have experience in consumptive use, specifically hunting. So why it's needed is there's Let, no- Let's rewind a little bit though, because okay. the proportion of the US public that hunts is 5%. Sure. So it's bad. But at least we still yeah. have students going into wildlife yeah. that still hunt at a greater percentage than the general public. Sure. I'm, I'm just always trying to put a positive spin. But I've seen it in my own classroom from uh, when I was a student in forestry yeah. until now as a wildlife professor, that number of students yeah. that are that come in with those experiences declining for sure. And I would say, too, it. I mean, it's super variable. Like, I have some professors in, I'll even say, like, 
high hunting participation, rural states that are in that 18, 19, 20% hunting participation, where they're telling me that their graduate student pool, 90% or more of them have never, never hunted before, never hunted. Yeah. What I find is that I have a lot of students, because they're going into the profession where they're going to interact with hunters, yeah. that they want to culturally understand it, and they're not sure if they want to hunt. I think we'd like them all to become part of that hunting community, but I think it, 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 at least we get them that experience so that when they go interact with hunters, there's at least a little better understanding of it and sure. appreciation for what it is, yeah. right? Uh, I think if we don't create ever, I mean, I think we want them as hunters, but if we don't get there, I don't think there's a negative thing that comes out of this program yeah. in general. Yeah. Right? Yep. Anything to add there? No, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Mike. Yeah. Like, it, you know, we've, we've run about, well, this year we had 450 participants um, and the number's obviously growing and we've ne literally never had a student go away and say they didn't learn something and they didn't enjoy themselves. That's that's cool. And I think that's why the program's grown. Oh, absolutely. And that's where I'm going right now is like, how much has it grown? And like, how has it grown? And in, in, is there geographic locations where it's really grown more than yeah. elsewhere? Um, that's a I mean, that's a really important element to this. So this program started in 2017, technically. Delta had four universities, Chris Williams at University of Delaware, Dave Coons at Colorado State, Doug Osborne at University of Arkansas Monticello, and uh, Mark Vertesca at University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Hardcore stone cold killers who love ducks and love duck hunting, um, cream of the crop. Um, and these were professors that Delta had a relationship with previously who were just kind of doing it on their own. And we didn't really know how to do it. We're like, what is this program? Like, what, what can Delta do? We've identified the problem, but you guys are already kind of doing this. Um, so what do we do about it? Uh, fast forward to 2019, when Delta created a full-time position, and I was fortunate enough to come over and work on it. So we had the four programs, and that was 2019. Fast forward to today, and we've got 103 universities, including wow. one That's, of you know yeah. three of them in the, in your home state in New York, your program at SUNY ESF, um, which is the longest running of the three for sure, and one of the very early onset programs, which frankly I think we've grown that program really well at, at ESF, mm -hmm. um, and then we've got Binghamton and Cornell as well. So we've got a lot of programs in the um on the eastern seaboard not as much in the pacific flyway that's kind of the next space that we need to work hard on expanding efforts but a lot in the northeast um, because frankly that's a, a where a lot of the need is and a lot of the very engaged professors um yeah putting one of these in like the middle of South Dakota, where every kid wears camo to class, might yeah. not. You don't get as much gain out of it. True. Or it's hard to find those students in there that yeah that that don't have like a friend that could mentor them or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we had one university this year, um, not that far from you, that uh, we had fifty-four applicants who wanted to do wow. a, participate in the program, wow. and we had six seats. Right. We get some other states in the middle, you know, of the country that um, just frankly, hunter participation is higher. Right. Um, we still have uh, plenty of students that want to participate. 
Um, but there's definitely pockets that, that need this programming more than others. And Delta's here to deliver. I mean, our long-term goal is we want to deliver the program everywhere that has a wildlife or related degree. But we're definitely conscious of the fact that there, there's some areas that need the programming more than others. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly. And I think that's nice to, to kind of focus that, right? So yeah. in that, like, like, why do you think there's just, and I have my own speculation on why fewer students going into wildlife programs actually hunt, but even go ahead and speculate, because I don't know that Delta has data on this yeah. specifically, but like speculate maybe on why you think kind of fewer university students in, and it's in wildlife, it's in forestry, it's in these kind of natural resources programs. It just seems like fewer students yeah. coming in hunt. Why do you, what do you think's driving that? So I'll give you my three reasons. And I mean, you probably know as much or more than I do. I mean, you're on campus every day. Um, but I would just tell you anecdotally, when I get to interact with participants, I always ask them that question like, what? You wanna go be a duck? <laughs> biologist or a white-tailed deer biologist or whatever, why have you never hunted before? Um, I ask every single one of them that question. And I guess the three things that I hear over and over are number one, and they don't say these things outright, but I mean, you get what they're coming from. And they say urbanization. I mean, I didn't grow up on a farm. I didn't grow up in middle of nowhere, Alaska. I didn't grow up where my mom and my dad and my aunt and my uncle, you know, were out there hunting. So I grew up in, you know, my a three bed, two bath house with a 4,000 square foot lot. I mean, we just didn't go out. So urbanization, I would say is key. Um, societal acceptance of consumptive use is definitely, especially with this age demographic, I hear that a lot. Like, you know, some students will say, well, I really wanted to do the program, but I'm not telling my mom and dad about right. it. I'm not telling my roommate about that. So I think the societal acceptance piece. Um, and then I think it's, it's, it's also the mentorship thing. People are afraid to say, will you teach me? Right. Um, and I hope that's something we can talk about a little bit later because I want to talk about Delta chapters and, and whatnot. But I think people are very intimidated to say, I'm going to be a wildlife manager, but I don't know how to hunt. And I think just getting over that. But again, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too, because you interact with these students more than I do. Yeah, I think we've talked about it a little bit. I think that the, and I am speculating, right? But when I was in school, a lot of kids came from poor white communities. Yeah. Uh, I went into forestry to make money from logging, basically, right? And then I got into the wildlife thing, which is... <laughs> turned out to be pretty cool. Yeah. Better than just cutting trees down. Nothing against people who cut trees down. <laughs> way, um, but all my buddies that like a lot of the folks in forestry and, and even wildlife hunted. I mean, the National Wild Turkey Federation biologist I graduated with. Right. And he's 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 now for the whole entire northeast U.S. Yeah. Great guy. Um, and that was that's what we would do. I'm like, I, what does everybody do on weekends and, and when they skip class now? Like we used to just go hunt. Yeah. And when I wasn't hunting, I was scouting for new places to hunt. But now the students more and more come from more suburban urban areas because the folks that used to come to University for Wildlife from those kind of rural portions of the Northeast uh, just go right into blue collar jobs because cost of education has gone up. 
And I think it's a lot of people just in this economy want to make money and get ahead because yeah. it's really easy to get behind kind of early on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that and from a recruitment standpoint, if somebody like I talk about New York City for where we're at, if they go in New York City and the five boroughs or whatever, they can just trip and fall on 150 students they can talk to. They go to small town America. They might have 12 students graduating from a senior class or something that yeah. might be even remotely interested. Yeah. So I think it's just the sheer number of people with that with that interest that also hunt, right? They're animal planet kids yeah. and they, they want to all be zookeepers. It's, it's changed substantially. So, you know, at, at the university level, we have this uphill battle with folks. And what, what's funny is a lot of them actually come in as antis. Yeah. We don't, out of our program at ESF, by the time we're done teaching them the North American model and they, they learn about all how game hunting is sustainable and all that. And if they get into this program with Delta, I mean, even without this program in Delta, they're at least accepting of it. The program with Delta, then they have that deeper understanding of it. Yeah. But that is a cool evolution to see, honestly. The rural kid that we bring into the university is always going to be pro-hunting. Mm-hmm. The city kids we bring in might not be, but they leave pro-hunting. And that's actually kind of a cool evolution to see them go through that. Yeah. Like I advise from freshman all the way on up. And that is a really neat evolution. I think a lot of wildlife programs go that way. Yeah. Well, and I would say too, I mean, and may, and granted you interact with more students than I do, but I don't, I've interacted with very few that were opposed to hunting. It's more just, I don't know. I thought, Food came from the grocery store, like, and it's and it's and and most of them have an awareness that it's they don't, it's not something that they have an understanding of, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I mean certainly there's folks that are opposed to it, but I I I just tend to believe that what we need to do is just create a more holistic view on it. Like yeah. if you put this experience in front of them and they participate and partake in it. It changes their mind because you demonstrate to them what what hunting is, and I don't I don't think we have to convince people that it's it's not wrong. We just need to show them what it is, and it's it's almost like there's something instinctually, like as a human being, that we have it in us to interact with the outdoors, and it's it's part of our culture, it's part of our heritage, it's part of our instinct. Mm-hmm. What to do is. We're going to be there to harvest protein, you yeah. know? And I think people, they're attracted to that. And it's especially a lot of younger folks are, are very drawn into that idea that I can get back to a, a relationship with the natural world that's healthy and sustainable. And, you know, I can harvest an animal in a respectful way that's not damaging to the population and it's good right high quality organic free range i mean all the buzzwords before well, before green was cool it was like <laughs> everything was always good. they're all doing it right, you know right. so right yeah and they've all been taught like at some point usually most of them when they get into this that like harvests are based on some solid science and sustainable and then to do it then they actually feel better about it too yeah. they don't feel like it's actually negative effects on the population which yeah. it's not in 99.9 well, especially waterfowl you know right right uh so that gets me into the like how students react like if it's yeah. all instinctual and they're in their brain they're hardwired to kill things for protein which yeah. i actually think most of us 
most of us are. Yeah. My favorite saying was from Dave Ankney, and it was like when somebody, and I don't believe this, it's tongue in cheek, but like, you know, a salad gets put on the table, he'd say, that's not food, that's what food eats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I think we're all drawn to the, you know, I mean, yes, people avoid protein, obviously, yeah. but these folks aren't. And yeah. so, but then how do they react? Like if there's this instinct, how do they, these students tend to react when they shoot their first duck? What's I mean, like? this year we had about 450 program participants. So it's kind of hard to like pigeonhole everything into like one distinctive reaction. But I would say if, if I was to like say what the stereotypical example is, it's, um, it's a passionate response. Um, I remember probably five years ago, one of the first students I took out as part of this program, she started crying the first time she shot a duck and I was like, oh no. She right. was like, this is the happiest moment of my life. I've done something to harvest an animal that I'm gonna feed to myself. I don't have to go to the chicken plant to go get my own protein. So um, it wasn't remorse, it was like too much. No. It was like too much excitement, emotional excitement. Yeah, and it's um, kind of going back to what we were talking about, but I would say the it's excitement yeah. and not in an unhealthy way, like, yeah, I killed something. Right. It's right. respectful. I mean, these students are very respectful of the birds that they harvest. Um, and I, th I think it, it's it's like lighting a spark that within them when they experience it for the first time that, that there's a passion for, for what they've done. Um, and I think that's the other thing with this program. We talked about the food angle, Mike, mm -hmm. and we built that into this program experience really intentionally because it doesn't stop with that water, that duck that was shot. It's, we're going to teach you how to process it. I mean, I remember the first year we did your program in 2020 and the students were saying that was the best part was you were teaching them, you know, there was a lot of mallards shot that day and you were teaching the students how to, how to, how to breast out the birds. And we, I think we had some like really good soy sauce marinade that we put them in and then we put them right on the grill. And less than an hour from when they were high-fiving each other, shooting those mallards, you were teaching them how to process, how to process them. And, you know, we were putting them on the barbecue. Um, and I think that, you know, we call it the locavore movement, that, that food motivation for hunting. Um, that is a big part of the reaction is the motivation for food. It's right. not the trophy. Yep. It, it's not. I mean, it really, very, very, very few of our participants get excited about the trophy. They're excited about the experience and they're excited about the food. So, yeah, I've got friends that, that are like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't do this cause I, I, I have to do it to eat. Yeah. And right. You can go to the grocery store, but boy, I do it a lot because I like the way I eat when I've, you know, shot a nice bunch of mallards and widgeon and stuff. And I'm a, I'm a duck hanger. I hang them in the barn for yeah. usually like two days, yeah. right? If it's below like 40 some degrees, um, I like to let them soften up a little bit people call it like what what is it they're technically starting to rot yeah it's a breaking down of the protein right yeah but i like that whole i like that whole entire process and i think that there's a lot of students that that's that's their sentiment is like 
this is a way to obtain, go through the process of obtaining my own, my own food, right? Yeah. And uh, maybe to some extent, because students are poor, this is also a way <laughs> for them to get high quality protein that they wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. You know, it's probably never economical, but, but, but uh, mental health and getting out of the classroom and all that, and then going through that whole process, it's probably a positive gain in the end for them, maybe even on a financial level at some yeah. point, you know, despite the cost of the license and, yeah. and other stuff. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of us, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to do this to eat. We can buy food, but boy, the process of it is just yeah. so much cooler, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Do you guys, so, so the students go on these hunts, like, and then they go on their merry way. What happens afterwards? Do you keep track of them to know, like, did they take up hunting? Yeah, so as a, at a science-based organization at its core, Delta is very interested in the data. I mean, we're not doing this blindly. So we have what I would consider a pretty robust set of surveys. So we do what we call a pre-event survey to register the students, get their contact information, get a snapshot of their hunting background, um, and that's before the program begins. And then we do a post-event survey, typically the day after the event, to quantify how much we increase their knowledge, mm -hmm. skills, abilities in participating in hunting. Um, and then we do a follow-up survey that gets sent out, actually it just went out uh, last week, at the end of traditional hunting seasons. And a lot of what we're looking there is, did you go hunting afterwards? What's your view of the North American model and wildlife management? Um, and so we definitely collect some data to look at programmatic impact. And then the other thing we look at is, what are your barriers to participation? Because we're trying to influence the view of future wildlife managers, which the program does. But then we wanna understand if we're gonna, what we call recruit you into hunting, what are your barriers? Is it lack of a hunting mentor? Is it lack of gear? Is it lack of access to a spot to go hunting? What are your specific barriers? Um, and that helps us better understand the program. And I guess what I would tell you is, I mean, we gather a lot of data, but the data point that I probably care the most about is, well, number one, did we influence the, your view of wildlife management and conservation in a positive way? And I can tell you of 447 participants that filled out the survey this year, 100% of them said that they had a positive impact at the end of the program on hunting in terms of the, its role in wildlife management. That's great. And then 92% of our program participants indicated that they intend to adopt hunting into their future lifestyle, which to me, you know, that, that's a success. That's huge. If 92% of your participants say they want to get more of that. And, and some of them might not do it right away. Sure. But later on where they're in a financial situation, yep. they might be, they, they technically wouldn't be classical late, late onset hunters. Yeah. But where they became maybe late onset regular yep. or passionate or a, people that identify as duck hunters. Like I just yep. identify as a duck hunter, right? Yep. You'd identify as a duck hunter. They might not do that completely till later in life. But this experience gets them to a point where they will do that. Sure. Where they wouldn't have maybe otherwise. Yeah, and I think, and we didn't really talk about it earlier, and I think it's a point worth making. Some, sometimes people say, well, Stephen, why college students? Right. And, and what I tell them is, well, number one, that's a really vulnerable age for lapsing. So let's say I, let's say I am 
uh, an avid hunter and I grew up and mom and dad and aunt and uncle and the whole family goes duck hunting every single year. And I go off to college. I go to Syracuse and I'm going to be gone for four years or six years or whatever it is. You can't have a shotgun on campus and I'm not right. advocating that you can. Right, right. But there are unique barriers that happen when... During that period. And then the other thing is life gets busy. I mean, you get out of college, you finish your undergrad, you go do your graduate degree, whatever the case may be, you go get a job, you get, you get married, you start having children, all, you buy a house, all these big life events. And before you know it, you know, from, from the time you were six years old until you were 18, you went hunting every fall. Yep. And the next thing you know, a decade has gone by and you got you know, two kids and a mortgage and you're married and you work 60 hours a week and you're like, oh my gosh. I haven't hunted in... I haven't hunted in whatever. <laughs> and now, now my kids want to go hunting and I haven't in 20 years. So that's why retaining college and university students, having an experience with hunting is really, really important. The other thing is... And youth programs are great. Don't get me wrong. Like, I have five kids, Mike. Like, I love taking youth out. Um, but I think it's important that we remember that, um, like, my, my let's say my 10-year-old daughter, you're going to take her out duck hunting, and, and she falls in love with it. She doesn't have a car. She can't buy a firearm. She doesn't have any money. She can't buy decoys. So all those things, it's very difficult truly recruit a youth into hunting you're better off recruiting mom and dad and the whole or whoever right getting the whole family and that's the pathway for kids is you've got to recruit somebody yep. who can take sally or billy to the sporting goods store to buy what they need so family units is a great way to go university students is an even better way to go because mm -hmm. they have the means to to go about it independently so that's why this target audience is really important to Delta. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So out of all the programs you've been involved in, like are there are there some really like this is a lot of work. Are there memorable moments that keep you coming back to do this? Other than the SUNY ESF program? Oh, stop. It's not that bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. You've, you've got a lot of them. Yeah. I, so, I appreciate that. No, I would honestly like promise you, yours was one of the early programs. And so I, I very much have good memories of sitting in a hotel room the night before the hunt. You, myself, Matt Nisley, and some yeah. of your students just talking about why hunting is important. Um, that's part of the joy of my job is that I get to interact with students. Um, I, do, I do have one that holds a special place in my heart and that is um, Auburn from 2020. Um, we worked with, well we work with um, Dr. Mark Smith there at Auburn and this one holds a special place in my heart. It was one of our early programs. It was one of the first ones that I got to go, that, so my role is collaborating and putting the programs together. Right. I don't get to go to all of them. But this was one I got to go to, and um, mo most of our programs are probably 50-50, um, male-female. And this one, we had 100% ladies, hmm. and we had 
Um, ADCNR sent their R3 coordinator, Justin Greider, who's a friend to this day. Um, Seth Maddox, yep. who's actually Seth. an assistant director yep. now. Seth's Seth great. was there. We had two different Delta chapters. Um, so it was pretty much that like everything was right. Um, and we had a really, really good piece of private property that a, a wonderful landowner gave us access to. That program holds a little bit of a special place in my heart, not just because of all those things, but because of the seeds that we planted. Um, fast forward to about three months ago, I got a phone call from Dr. Kelly Dunning, who now, she was teaching at Auburn. She's now in uh, Wyoming at the University of Wyoming in Laramie. And she called me up and said, hey, Stephen, I love the university hunting program. Can we deliver it at my school now? Super. Cool. I also got a phone call from one of the participants who now works in a different state. Um, she grew up in Florida and called me up and said, hey, can we do a program here? So to me, this that I always give that example because um, it cross-pollinates. Like the duck hunting community is big, but it's also small. And so getting to meet the people and seeing their life journey, a participant come in as a, a master's student go back to a different state and then call me up four years later and say, hey, can we get a program going here? A professor that moves yeah. thousands like it's, it's, of miles it's like away. It's organically growing Abs its own energy. Absolutely. Yeah. So to me, that it's the people that make it really fun. Um, yeah. And just seeing people's journey is that's what it's all about to me. So, yeah, that is, that's, uh, that's, that's, I mean, again, that organic kind of growth of it and, and how it takes its own form and you kind of help it along and then it, it does its own thing yeah. after that is super fun to see go. Uh, general question really that I tend to ask folks, you know, what advice would you give a new, you know, new duck hunters to kind of to make their experience as a duck hunter kind of better into the future? Because we all have ups and downs as duck hunters and we kind of hear a lot of there's like a lot of negative energy out yeah. there right now about super like dry year, boat, super warm, like boat races and swing ducks. <laughs> and like when I started this podcast up with with the, with the rest of the team on the Fall Weather podcast, I I didn't, and then I like really dug into the social media more. I mean, I had my own culture that I was in, but I really looked around, and there is what I would feel like is a lot of negative energy out there with some of this yeah. stuff. Like it's it's gotten very competitive, and yeah. So I don't know. What advice do you have for 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 young folks and getting into it and how to make duck hunting just better for them and maybe better for duck hunting in totality into the yeah. future? It's a good question, Mike. Um, I would say I go back to one of the barriers that we hear about all the time, the lack of a hunting mentor. Mm -hmm. um, don't be afraid to ask for somebody to mentor you and don't feel like you're ever going to stop learning. Like I learned things talking to professors like you from participants. I mean, these are smart wildlife students. Mm -hmm. They, they know a lot. Um, and they I just learned, haven't had all the experience. Uh, they they haven't be hunted yeah. before, but yeah. everybody comes from a different place and they have knowledge. And so don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't ever stop being a student of hunting because you're never ever gonna know it all. Like, I, I mean, I learn something every time I step in the marsh 
whether I'm alone, whether I'm within a super experienced hunter, whether I'm with somebody who's never hunted before, you can always learn something. And, and every and every hunt's different too. Oh yeah, I mean, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, and it's, yeah, and duck hunting is so social too. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I I've shot a lot of bears. Like having spent a lot of time in Alaska. And don't get me wrong, I mean, bear hunting's cool, nothing wrong with that, but it's the camaraderie and the mentorship and the culture of waterfowl hunting is so rich. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much to learn. So what I would say for participants, folks that wanna participate in this program, is you have to remember that we have Delta hun hundreds of mentors every year from Delta that give of their time, energy, um, the, to take these students out. And I promise you that if you ask them to mentor you, they will. They're yeah. wonderful people. And that's what makes Delta a family, is that people are, are giving and compassionate and they wanna teach people, whether you look like them, talk like them, act like them or not, it doesn't matter, I promise you. And so whether you in, interact with this program or not, duck hunters are giving people and they're willing to teach you. So let them teach you. You do have to take a leap of faith though. Like it's <laughs> yeah. like you, they're not going to go pull you out of your living room and drag you into the marsh. Like you, you got to be willing to say, Hey, I want, I need to learn. You got to ask for it. Yeah. yeah. They'll say yes, but right. you gotta, you gotta do your part and say, Hey, will you teach me? Yeah, that's a that's a, a really good point. Before we, uh, and I'm doing a new thing where I'm letting the guests like take us out. And I don't oh. know, do you know the do you know the buzz phrase at the end of the podcast? Uh, may, I'm, I'm going. We're not going to do it. We're not, it's right there. It's written down. Oh, so you wrote it down for me. We'll, we'll get we'll get to it. It's okay. at the bottom. But do you I have get... anything like like uh, just you know Delta Waterfall Wise? Awesome organization. Yeah. Uh, as I've said, I did a I did a couple podcasts before. Everybody should be a member of of Delta. Everybody should be a member of DU. You guys do stuff a little bit differently, but you both add to the culture of duck hunting and yeah. duck conservation and duck uh, duck hunter recruitment and such. But any just genuine general comment about Delta or promotion of what you all do? I mean, our goal we are a duck hunting organization. We care about ducks and we care about duck hunters. And this university hunting program is, every time I talk to somebody about it, they go away passionate. Um, and I, anybody that's interested, you can look at my contact information on the Delta website. Um, you can give me a call, you can text me, you can email me. I would love to share more. Um, right now we've got 103 programs. We wanna to get to 494, which is the number of institutions in North America that have uh, a wildlife related degree program. So it's aspirational, but I don't think that we're gonna secure the future of duck hunting without doing some aspirational stuff. So I'll keep working on it until I retire, I guess. I mean, the sky's not the limit, but every <laughs> un every university with a wildlife program uh, is by the sounds. It's a little of bit of a big so. goal, but you know what? Hunters have done some pretty cool things. Yeah. Like, we, I mean, oh. you look at the success of wood ducks. That's what I was going to go with. We Rocky Mountain elk. Ducks, right? we, yeah. we, saved, we saved the elk. We saved the wood ducks. Yeah. We saved 
you know, wild tur turkeys. turkeys. Yeah. So, I mean, if we can do that, then we can save hunting. We can save hunting. And I love it. you wrote it down for me. So I guess I'm supposed to say, no, no. Oh, I got to thank you first. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. You can, thank, I like. you can thank me. You can what? thank, you can thank Delta. That's cool. No, I really thank you for joining us, Stephen. And what I, another thing I want to point out that we do on this podcast, I don't know if I'm ever going to interview I'm, I, eventually, we might interview and talk to like a wildlife biologist or, or somebody in the field that, that doesn't hunt. But I like to point out that folks working as biologists or in positions like yours with, with organizations are also typically duck hunters and duck, what I call duck people from throughout duck country, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that they're not your enemy. There's a lot of this like animosity, like the duck biologists are doing everything wrong. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And they, like we're on a different team and we're literally the same people. We just happen to do this professionally. Yeah. And it's like the guy in the marsh next to you that you like try to race to a hole. I mean, he might be a super cool dude yeah. in, in general. Right. And that like these duck biologists and folks like yourself and the, and these types of programs working for, you know, for Delta are, um, are their hunters themselves and they're literally in the marshes yep. and in the fields next to you. So, yep. you know, give these folks credit cause they're out there slogging it out with you. And when it's bad for you duck hunting, it's okay. bad for them too. Yeah. And, uh, I tell you, we're not always right about what we do, but we work really damn hard to refine everything and, and okay. make sure that there's, I mean, ducks in front of people's blinds. So yeah. thanks Steven. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, and Steven, take us out. I mean, so may your skies be filled and shoot straight all my friends. <laughs>